as we prepare to read our text, there are numerous folk here at Grace Church who are having some very challenging times right now in their life. And uh, I'm not going to call their names, but uh, I think most of you probably know who they are. And I want us to take a pause just for a moment, and I want us to pray for them. Uh, Several of our children are sick this morning. A couple of them are in the hospital. Uh, It's grieving. It's grieving. You know, it's one thing for an adult to be in the hospital. It's another thing for a child to be in the hospital. And uh, we have a couple of our kids are in the hospital this morning. We have parents that's been through some very challenging times, very difficult times, and um, it's it's spread enough now that I'd like for Grace Church to plead the blood of Jesus. Let's bind together as one unit, as one body, and let's just ask God to move among all of our church people today that are in just very difficult times. I'm going to preach about that in just a moment, but I want us to pray for them right now that God would be with them and give them that edge of encouragement that confidence that their their lives, their futures in the hands of God. We have people that are traveling, vacation, and what have you. Uh, let's pray for them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you today to take dominion and authority over these situations that are prevailing in the lives of your people. God, you love these folks, and you know who they are. You love these folks more than we do. You died for them. We didn't. You did. You took stripes for their healing, not only physical, but mental, emotional. And I pray today, God, that the hand of God would be made manifest. I want to pray today the prayer of faith. Believe in you. Have confidence in you. I love and appreciate our medical abilities, the doctors and their staff. And we believe in what they do, but God, you're the ultimate physician. There's nobody that can do what you can do. Nobody can heal like you can. Nobody can touch what your spirit can do. And I'm asking you today, by the authority of the name of Jesus, that you would step into the lives of these people, the lives of our children, our parents, our moms and dads. I pray that the spirit and power of God would take precedence right now, that Your healing power and virtue would be made manifest in the name of Jesus. We believe these things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Clap your hands to the Lord. Let's give Him some thanks and appreciation for hearing our prayer today. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank the Lord. Numbers chapter 21, beginning with verse 4. Just read verse 4 today. And they journeyed from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people, the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. The Amplified Version said, And the people became impatient, meaning they were depressed, much discouraged because of the trials that they had been through and the trials that was ahead of them. I want to preach the Word of God today. I want to preach it in the face of the devil. We're not going to back up and we're not going to deviate from God's plan and purpose for our life. 
Y'all with me? I believe in the authority of the name of Jesus. And I declare it today. Standing on the word of God. I declare a blood covering in the name of Jesus. Somebody clap your hands in faith today. You believe it? Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. I want to preach for a few minutes today the challenge with discouragement. The challenge with discouragement. Everybody say, thank God for the Word. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Thank you for your patience. It very well could be that this sermon, and I hope it is, is going to be one of those that will bring strength to you to go ahead at another day, to give God all you've got for another week, for another month, for another year. It's a stressful time for a number of our church families, and we're mindful of those things, but we're going... You're on our minds, you're in our thoughts, you're in our prayers. And we're going to get through this. And while all of this is going on, Brother Ben, Grace Church is going to keep calm and carry on. Amen. Everybody said amen. Amen. Thank the Lord. Just as the angel told Elijah to arise and eat so that he would have strength for the journey, I'm going to encourage everybody here today to do the same thing. I know it's a crazy question to ask, but has anybody here today ever been discouraged? You ever been discouraged? I was about five minutes ago. Well, a little longer than that. but, But every person among us at one time or another has felt the distress of discouragement tugging at our hearts and literally trying to dampen our spirit, our resolve, our determination. T. DeWitt Talmadge said, listen very carefully, in the lottery of life, there are more prizes drawn than blanks. He went on to say, and to one misfortune... To one misfortune, there are 50 advantages. I believe that today. He said discouragement, discouragement is the most unprofitable feeling that men can indulge in. Fenelon said discouragement is not a state of humiliation. Whether we stumble or whether we fall, we must only think of rising again and moving on in our course. Somebody said to doubt and to give in to discouragement is a sure step to failure. And I concur with that statement. In the scripture setting that I read today, this particular part of of, of the Israelites' journey has now become very taxing to all of them. Moses' brother Aaron has just died. And now it seems that Moses' work by himself without Aaron's support and help, consists of encouraging those who are weary of tent life, tired of living in a tent. I'd have got wore out with that in about one night. Some of you don't have an opinion on that, do you? 
I'll give you one. Go buy you a tent at Sports Academy today and spend the night in it tonight. You'll understand what I'm talking about. So Moses' work now consists of encouraging them who are sick and tired, if you will, of living in a tent and experiencing all the inconveniences of nomadic travel. The fretting, the groaning, the complaining, combined with the demands of their journey, the Bible said the soul of the people was much discouraged. You reach a point where you just say, I can't do this anymore. I can't take another step. I can't eat another bowl of manna. I've had enough of quail. I can't do this anymore. When is this going to end? When is this journey we're on ever going to terminate? And I will submit to you here today, when you're in pursuit of your promised land, sometimes you can reach the point when you're caught and snared in the jaws of discouragement that you'll reach the conclusion that even Canaan's land isn't worth the journey. The payoff of all of this is not commensurate with the trouble and the anxiety, the heartbreak, the discouragement, the distress, the journey. And this is where Israel was. And to compound all of their daily routine, to compound what was going on in their life at that point, they reached a land called Edom, who was... Inherent enemies of Israel. They hated Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, if you, do, if you study Edom and what they represented, they were literally demonic in their attitude towards the people of God. So Moses sat down with the king of Edom. And he said, look, I've got this million people. They're tired. They're discouraged. They're sad. They're weary with this journey we've been on. If you would let us just take a little shortcut through your land of Edom, it would get us to our destination a whole lot quicker. And we promise to stay on a very marked path. We will not deviate from our path. We will not encroach on your land. We will not drink one drop of water out of your rivers, lakes, and streams. We will not eat any of your food. All we're asking is that you just accommodate and facilitate our passing through. It's a straight shot from where we are to where we're going. If you allow us to pass through the land of Edom. And he said no. I'm not going to let you do it. No other reason than I don't like you. I'm not going to be kind I'm not going to be compassionate. I'm not going to be understanding of your plight. I understand it's a shorter distance and it would be easier on your people. But just because I don't like you, you cannot pass through our land. So Moses had to make the announcement to people who had already reached the end of their rope. We can't do this anymore. We're discouraged. We're depressed. We can't take another step. He has to announce to them that the king of Edom 
will not let us pass. And we're going to have to take a long, long route out of our way to get to our promised land. I want to be honest with you. I want to be real with you, and I'm going to show you later on in this message that the Spirit of God has the ability of impacting the mind of a man. I believe God could have changed the mind of the king of Edom and said, sure, y'all pass right through here. God knew the plight of his people. He knew their 400-year history of slavery. He knew all that they had been through at the hand of Pharaoh. And now they were given a promise. They were given a hope. It seemed to most to probably seem almost like a pipe dream. It'll never happen. But we'll follow along anyway. Anything to get out of Egypt. And what little energy and excitement and belief in Moses they had. Not only are they grieving the loss of Aaron, who was their high priest, who was even more to them than a pastor. He was their literal representation of God himself to them. They've lost him. They're trying to follow Moses. They're tired and weary. I'm belaboring the point, but I want you to get it. We've heard this story in Sunday school, most of us, all of our life. These people are tired, man. They can't go anymore. They can't do anymore. They can't defend themselves. They have no, they have no resources to draw from. And all the king of Edom had to do to make their life a whole lot easier is let them pass through his land. And he said no. So Moses had to make that announcement. Sorry, folks. But our plans have been changed. We prayed and hoped that God would change the mind of Edom. But he didn't do it. And we're going to have to take the long way around. Notice very carefully. Instead of God making their situation better, he made it worse. They've gone all they can go. They've done all they can do. They think. They think. I've gone as far as I can go, Pastor. That's what you think. But that's not what God thinks. The Bible said they started murmuring. They started complaining as they began to move into the darkness of the wilderness, as they began to look at the land of Edom and make their comments and throw their sneers and gestures and what have you. They began to complain with such vehemence against God and against Moses that a huge penalty for that resulted. And the Bible said fiery serpents began to slither among them and began to bite them. That's another message for another day, but it's simply this. What we say... When discouragement sinks into our spirit, can have some terrible effects on our life. When one finds himself in the midst of this sort of a, a thing, of this kind of an atmosphere and environment, there's a tendency to start making comparisons. When our circumstances that we're living in versus the service someone else's in a similar situation. Be very easy for Dave and Farrah to look around and Lori and Johnny to look around and say, look at all the healthy kids running around here. Why does mine have to be in the hospital? When the path that God has put us on 
is filled with heartache and despair. When I look at Mike and Sheila and what they've been through and what is still ahead of them, it's easy to look at someone else and say, why me and why not them? Why does it have to be anybody for that matter? When our lot in life versus someone else's lot in life, with each comparison, we sink lower and lower into the pit of discouragement. Discouragement can pull us down deeper than what we normally would even desire to go. Someone said that discouragement is that somewhere feeling in the middle of of nowhere. If we're not careful, discouragement can have a tendency to deepen and darken our days. And when we're discouraged, when we are discouraged, if we're not vigilant, we can fail God miserably. I've seen it all of my life. And I submit to you today, the devil loves to take advantage of our thinking in times of discouragement. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. We are not ignorant of his devices. And I've come today to you to remind you of that. We can live in discouraging times where it seems like God is nowhere around. And at the same time, the devil has gone on steroids in our life. And everything is falling apart. The wheels are coming off. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to be real. And it's a place where all of us live sometimes. And some of us are living here now. The devil comes to us in times of difficulty and tries to take advantage of our mind and our devotion to God. Calamities of life assail, and we're in a storm of doubt when there's sickness and pain in our body, and we're downtrodden in our spirit. We have wayward sons and daughters and financial pressure, and the dreams that we had have flickered out, and there's changes in the workplace, and sometimes we even lose our job. When you get discouraged along the way, when you get discouraged along the way, the devil will begin to put a spin on life that will that, that make you see things that not as they really are. You know, the devil will begin a dialogue that goes something like this. You see what those folks are enjoying over there? Look at them. If your God was so awesome, You'd be enjoying them things too. Look how easy things are for them. Look at you, a child of God, suffering all these things. All these other people don't have nearly the crosses that you have, and you spend most of your time sighing and crying and groaning and and even mourning. You ought to go and do like they do and get free from the dark night of adversity. You can enjoy the sunshine of prosperity if you just walk away from God. He'll point out at how much money other people have than we do and look at where they live compared to where I live and look how healthy they are compared to how healthy I am and look how nice their life is and, and man, they love their job and it's so fulfilling and look at their kids, they're so courteous and socially developed. He does the same thing to preachers and pastors. Look at the size of that building. Look at the size of their crowd. Look at how socially accepted they are in their city. Look at the money you could give to missions if you had what they had and look at how they're treated and, look, and it goes on and on. The same trick, the same trick 
the devil used in Jeremiah's day against the people of God. Listen to what they said. In Jeremiah chapter 44 and verse 16, As for the word of God, they said, that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. We're not going to do it. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense unto the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her as we have done. We and our fathers, our kings, our princes, and the cities of Judah and in the, city, in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of vigils and, we, and were well and saw no evil. But since we left off to burn incense to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have wanted or lacked all things and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. They surmised because of discouragement that when seemingly we go through those times, when God is not for us, you're better off to give it all up. Backslide. Turn your back on God. Walk away from God. That life in sin and life in the world is a better option. That's what they thought. I'm here to submit to every person in this building today that that is the language of hell. There are some things that you ought to know about this sort of reasoning the devil gives you when you become much discouraged because of the way. The devil does not want you to know. The devil does not want you to know, and if you know it, he wants you to forget it, that God does work in mysterious ways. I'm not saying that generically. God works in mysterious ways. Listen very carefully. Listen. Oftentimes, the hands of God's mercy are toward those when His heart isn't. Oftentimes, the hands of God's mercy are towards people when His heart isn't. And just because you experience the mercy of God doesn't necessarily mean you're in the will of God. The Bible is full of examples like this. King Saul, the hand of God's mercy was toward him, but the heart of God wasn't. He was allowed to rule in spite of his great disobedience and rebellion. Balaam, had the hands of God's mercy on him. But the heart of God was not with him. He was permitted to go to Balak, but he was not blessed of God. Judas Iscariot was allowed to carry the bag of money. He was the church treasurer, if you will. The hands of God's mercy was on him, but the heart of God was not with him. Gehazi was allowed close fellowship with one of the most prolific prophets in the Bible. 
but he had no communion with God. But listen, by the same token, God may set his hand against a man, but always have his heart with that man. The Bible is filled with examples of this as well. Job. Job. Everybody say Job. The hand of God in this little duel between God and the devil turned on Job. The hand of God did. But the heart of God never did. Abraham. The Bible said he patiently endured so he could obtain the promise. There was times when the hand of God was against Abraham, but the heart of God was never against Abraham. Joseph, Joseph, first a pit, then a prison, then the pinnacle, when the hand of God moves against us, but the heart of God is never against us. The devil wants all of us to forget that God works in mysterious ways. And it could be that the very affliction you curse is going to be the salvation of your own soul and even that of others. The story of Job has impacted untold millions of people because he withstood the fiery darts of the devil. Everything the devil had in his arsenal to throw at Job, he threw at him. And Job still came out smelling like a rose. I'm here to submit to you today that we can live the story of a modern day Job. And everybody hates it and nobody likes it. But if you can endure to the end, it'll be to the saving of your soul and that of others. So don't get confused. I need everybody to get your head around this message today. Don't get confused when you see how merciful and kind God is to sinners and even to backsliders and then how harsh He may seem towards His own people. Thomas Brooks said, The Son of Prosperity shines on the brambles. You remember the bramble? I talked about that last Sunday. The only thing that's good for is burning. But the sun of prosperity shines on the brambles and the wilderness as the fruit trees of the orchard. The snow and hail of adversity lights upon the best garden as well as a stinking trash heap. Ahab and Josiah both died in their chariots while in battle. One was wicked and the other was good. Saul and Jonathan died the same day at the hands essentially of the same enemy, one wicked and one good. Moses died in the same wilderness as those who murmured around him. Nabal was rich as well as Abraham, one wicked and one good. Ahithophel was essentially as wise as Solomon, one wicked and one good. Doeg was honored by Saul, just as Joseph was honored by Pharaoh. Don't get confused with the mysterious ways of God. Health, wealth, and honors, just as crosses, sickness, and losses come to both good men and bad men. 
very well could be that the worst of men have most of the outward things, while the best of men have the least of the world, but the most of heaven. It rains on the just and the unjust. You can't get discouraged because of the way. In addition to the devil wanting to eradicate from our mind the fact that God works in mysterious ways, the devil doesn't want you to know that there is a day of reckoning coming to all of those who abuse the mercy of God. When men take advantage of God's mercy and goodness to do evil, God will take care of it in due time. Yes, He will. Again, in Jeremiah 44, notice what God will do. When they burned incense as a semblance of worship, they still practiced sinful behavior. Remember, they worshiped the queen of heaven and poured out wine and all of that to her. They did not obey the voice of God nor respond to the preaching of the prophets. They did not walk in the ways of the law of God. And because of that, because of that, listen, God finally gave up on His work of mercy in their life. And notice the outcome. Therefore, hear ye the word of the Lord, all Judah, that dwell in the land of Egypt, God speaking, but I have sworn by my great name, saith the Lord, that my name shall no more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, saying, The Lord God liveth. Behold, I will watch over them for evil and not for good. In other words, I'll see to it that they survive to live every evil thing they can. It's kind of like people saying in our culture today, I'd rather people live with a life sentence than to be executed immediately. Let them live in their misery. Let them live in the guilt of what they've done. This is what God is essentially saying when He said, I'll watch over them for evil and not for good. And all the men of Judah that are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by the famine until there be an end of them. Yet a small number that escape the sword shall return out of the land of Egypt into the land of Judah. And all the remnant of Judah that are gone into the land of Egypt to sojourn there shall know whose words stand, mine or theirs. It's a potent scripture reading. Yes, it is. The devil uses a mercy of God shown to others as an attempt to get us to walk away from him and for the church. Don't buy into it. No one is going to be able to avoid the judgment of God. You can get the things you want, but sometimes it's the leanness of the soul. It's a heavy plague to have a healthy body and a lean soul. A house full of gold and a heart full of sin. The third thing the devil wants you to think is he wants you to be surprised when trouble comes into your life. He will do his best to point out to you how green the paths are that sinners are walking. Again, Thomas Brooks, he said, There's no greater misery in life than not being in misery, no greater affliction than not being afflicted. The person that does not experience trouble and difficulty, 
is a person that will never grow. God shapes much of our lives by the trials that we must endure. Again, God chooses what we go through, but we choose how we go through it. One of the saddest scriptures in the Bible is found in the book of Hosea. In Hosea chapter 4 and verse 17, Ephraim is turned to idols. Let him alone. It's when God gives up. When God gives a man over to sin without control, that seals the fate of that man. I had a short conversation with Brother Ben yesterday afternoon about this. When God began to impact the mind of a man, the Bible said that he can turn you over to a reprobate mind and alters the way you think. How many times, how many times, I know I've done this over and over and over, how many times in your moments of trouble have you rushed to the church? How many times in your moments of trouble have you fled to the Word of God? How many times in your moment of trouble have you gone on a fast? How many times in your moments of trouble have you notched up your praying and say, I need to get a hold of God? How many times in your moments of trouble have you longed for the touch of God in your life? How many times in your moment of trouble have you found Jesus standing in the shadows? When uh, in your moments of trouble have you pulled your family into a place of holy longing for God? How many times in your moment of trouble have you looked for the fellowship of God's chosen people? I'm here to, to submit to somebody today. If you're discouraged with the way, the answer is not to walk away from the way, but to turn your nose back towards God with everything you have in it. And when you say, I can't go another step, God says, with my power, yes, you can. You can reach the destiny that I have called you to. You can accomplish the purpose that I have placed in your heart. Somebody clap your hands and shout yes. I want to say to all of us here today, the prosperity is a stumbling block to more people than trouble ever has been. Prosperity has been a stumbling block to people far more than trouble ever has been. There are more people, there's been more people to experience shipwreck because of blessing than ever have because of adversity. I know it may be hard for some to digest, it may be hard for some to get your head around it. Those of you watching on live stream today, thank you for being with us. And I know sometimes that life can be hard. And life can be challenging. And it can provoke more questions than answers. But I can tell you right now, the condition of the heart of a man at his time of passing is far more important than the condition of a man, of the heart of a man when he's born. We've got to be right with God. I don't care what it takes. We've got to be right with God. I don't care what it takes. 
And we can be discouraged with churches and pastors and preachers and teachers. We can get discouraged with God himself. But it's never a license and it's never a justification to throw your hands up and quit. I'm trying to encourage somebody here today. I've looked at more than one face in a casket at a funeral that has been battle-worn and weary. I looked at our sweet brother Alexander, 93 years. And God only knows if you'll excuse the expression of how many times he had been to hell and back throughout his lifetime but when I looked into that peaceful sleeping face there was something that rose up on the inside of me that said if he can do it I can do it if he can make it I can make it his life of adversity finally paid off and he's living in that land of promise today don't get discouraged when trouble comes your way when it comes to suffering When it comes to suffering, sure, don't trust in your own understanding. Don't try to figure it out. You never will. I don't know of anybody that ever has. Suffering seems to be the great teacher that brings us face to face with God. And it oftentimes seems to be those that follow God through their suffering comes out to be the most wise and the most knowledgeable among us. There's no one that's more shallow than people that's never suffered. So I'm here to preach to you today. The devil doesn't want you peering in too closely into the lives of those who revel in the mercy of God and are free from adversity. When you look to their soul, you'll find that they long for more than what they possess. It may be that from appearances that they have all the riches and pleasures and friends and trinkets of the world, but Dave, David and Job painted their situation something like this. In Psalm 49, the psalmist said, Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. People who build their lives around the world, Psalm 73, their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than the heart could wish. Job said, they take the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ. They spend their days in wealth, he said. Yet all of that is nothing compared to what they really want. They want so much more than what they have. The fact of the matter is that they want what a lot of saints already have. I can tell you today that there is inherently inside of every man, woman, boy, and girl a longing to be in the presence of God. They long to know the riches of the Word of God. They long for righteousness and holiness. They long for a clean conscience and a pure heart towards God. They long for just a night to rest, their weary soul in simple sleep. They long for the pardon from sin and the power against sin and the knowledge of freedom from the dominion of sin. They want the favor of God, which is better than life. That's what they really want. I've talked to too many folks that don't have a relationship with God. At their own confession, they don't have a relationship with God. I've talked to too many backsliders that long for the understanding of joy unspeakable and to experience moments that are full of glory. Even lost folks long 
for the heavenly home. And they're always quick to say when their loved ones pass that that's where they are. Believing somehow that money, wealth, and riches and all of that and influence can bring them to that place. But it can't. And deep down inside, I believe people know that. I've had more than my share of discouraging times, if you'll stand with me this morning. I've had more than my share. I say that. That's obviously not what God thinks because those times of discouragement keep coming. I'm sure all of us feel that little twinge of martyrdom when we're discouraged to the point that you want to quit and you want to say, what's the use? All of us have lived there. But what the devil don't want you to see is that people who live outside of a relationship with God, their head is full of care and their heart is full of fear. Their obligations, demands, and responsibilities and all their possessions lead to great distraction, vexation, and condemnation. Most often they are millstones around their neck. An emperor once said to his subjects, You look upon my purple robe and golden crown, but if you knew what cares are under it, you would not pick it up off the ground to have it. Augustine said, Many are miserable by loving hurtful things, but they are more miserable by having them. Dave, you and Farah, Lori, you and Johnny possess more hope and power than the most wealthy, influential men on this planet. Because on any given moment, you can fall on your face before God and have more power with God. It don't seem like it sometimes, does it? I walked out of Dawson's hospital room and Schuyler's hospital room Friday and I've never felt so helpless and despondent in all of my life. The preacher's here. He should be able to pray the prayer of faith and our loved ones be healed instantly and walk out of this hospital in a moment. And it didn't happen. I have come to learn God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. But the devil don't want you to know that. You have more than meets the eye, even in the midst of all your struggles. Just as you don't see the great struggle of the soul of the rich man, you do understand that in all of your trouble that you still have a God I believe that John the Baptist went to the guillotine that day or to the sword about to be beheaded knowing I don't care who here it is. I don't care about daughters and dads and the riches of the world. I don't care about pilots. I don't care about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of their religion. You can cut my head off and I'll die knowing this. That I died knowing inherently on the inside of my bosom that there was a God with me every step of the way. And I'll only leave this place to be in His hands forever. I can't help myself today. 
I still believe in him. Yes, I have to confess that Skylar has had her share and Dawson has had his share, but that doesn't diminish my faith and confidence and trust in God. I have to testify with Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. So the psalmist went on to say in Psalm 107, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. In verse 13, they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. In verse 19, they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Psalm 107, verse 28, they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. We all know today that God did not spare Joseph of the pit, neither did he spare the three Hebrew boys of a fiery furnace, nor Daniel of a den of lions. Even Jesus prayed to be delivered from the cross and was given a resounding no. Yeah, Hebrews 11 gives some great stories. But don't forget there's a whole bunch of them that the Bible said had the same quantity of faith as the hero. But they were fed to the lion, burned at the stake, and cut through with the sword. Some were spared and some weren't. This is the wisdom that David ultimately shared with us in Psalm 73. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein, talking about the wicked. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. You cast them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly, utterly consumed with terror. This is the wicked. These are the people that we look at right now that are living peaceful lives and seem like their life is free of trouble. But here we are, the saints of God, and we're struggling seemingly every day. I know the end of the wicked. But I've also read the back of the book. And I know the end of the righteous, buddy. I know the end of the righteous. I'm not giving you lip service today. I'm preaching my heart. There's people that are standing here. If you don't get too discouraged with the way... You can make it one more day. <laughs> if you can pray one more prayer, if you can read one more verse. You know where I believe we're living? I believe we're real close to that, that time that Paul wrote to the Thessalonica church when he said it's going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the trump of God that the dead in Christ are going to be raised first. Then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And we're going to meet Him in the air. I believe we're living in that time. It ain't a time to quit. It's not a time to give up. It's not a time to give in. 
but we've got to get stronger and believe deeper and be more passionate about our relationship with God. God never said that the trip from here to Canaan would be easy. He told the disciples in Mark chapter 4 and 5, if you'll get into this boat with me, we'll go to the other side. There's one little thing he didn't mention. That you're going to go through a storm that's going to take you so close to death, you could kiss death on the mouth. Even David said in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's going to come to all of us. But there's an end of this life, people. There's an end of this life. Oh, yes, there is an end of this life that you're going to look back and say with all of your might and tears streaming down your cheeks that it was worth it all. Brother Tom, I believe if you could bring your mom and dad back and all of their sacrifices and suffering for no reason, no justification, there's no answer to the why. His dad laid in a recliner for weeks, kissing death on the mouth every minute. If you could bring them back today and bring them up here, they'd tell you, Hang on, Tom. It's worth it. (laughs) I believe my mother could come back here today and preach a sermon or two and do her little woo-woo and her little shout and dance she used to do when I was a kid and encourage somebody here today that it's going to be worth it one of these days. When we stand before Him, John said, And I heard, as it were, behind me the sound of many waters. It was multitudes thousands upon thousands, yea, thousands that were crying and shouting with a loud voice, Hallelujah! The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. These are they, he said, that washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and were giving you talk about Jesus wearing a victor's crown. We're serving a risen God today. Hang on, people, hang on. presence of the Lord is being made manifest to somebody right now. He's standing in your face right now. And this is what he's saying. Pack up your tent one more time. Eat another bowl of manna. And another serving of quail. You don't want to go through Edom. You think the way I have on you is hard. Go through Edom and you'll wade through hell. You'll wade through hordes of demons who will vex you. And they'll persecute you and mock you and laugh at you. They'll scorn you in your weakness. They'll ridicule you for your shallowness. They'll make fun of you because of your faith. 
I'm going to take you the long way around. But you'll have me with you every step of the way. And you'll avoid the mocking, seething demons in your ear. Follow me. Stay with me. Eat the quail. Eat the manna. Drink the water out of a rock. Follow my pillar of cloud. Follow my pillar of fire. I am the Lord. And I'll take you to your promised land if you'll follow me. It may be the long way. But I promise you this. I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. You may perceive the hand of God is against you. But the heart of God is more with you than you can imagine. Stay with Him. Follow Him. Let's wait on the Holy Ghost for a moment. I've given you a word, but God has something else to say. Somebody let the Lord have His way right now. This is a God moment for somebody. Grace Church, let God use you right now. That's right. Go ahead. Go ahead. So Grace Church, Grace families, pack up your tent, put on your backpack, and let's go another day. Let's give the devil another round. This is what I know from the Word of God. For if God be for me, who can be against me? As they're playing and singing softly here this morning, I'd like for everybody in the house, everybody, our guests, everybody, to march up to the front of this building with a heart determined. I want your march from where you are to up here today to say this to the devil. You thought I was going to quit. You thought this was going to be my last round. 
You thought this was going to be my last service. You thought I was going to give up, didn't you? But not now. Not now. And not ever. Because God is with me. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. For when I fall, I'll rise again. And when I sit in darkness, the presence of God will be light around me. I think somebody ought to march down to the front of this building with your face in the air and your hands raised toward heaven and determined in your heart, I'm going to do this another day. I'm going to fight on. And heaven is going to be mine before this is over with. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God, I'm asking you right now to grab this people. Grab them up in your arms and pull them close to you. We can't quit now. We can't quit now. In the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Give him all you've got right now. This is your God moment. This is God intervening in your life right now, telling you that I am with you. The Lord of hosts is with you. Let him have his way. Let the Spirit of the Lord work right now. You can do this. Come on, Grace Church. Everybody pray. Everybody pray. Everybody talk to God right now. Talk to God right now. That's right, folks. Come on. Come on. Don't give way to a dis- discouragement. Give in to the presence of God around you. Give in to the Holy Ghost that's moving around your life right now. Somebody say yes to the Lord. Come on. You can do it. Say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. <laughs> 